Welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast, a podcast created to champion church multiplication, provide learning, and inspire new disciple-making communities across Canada. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast. Uh, So happy that you tuned in today. You're going to love our interview coming right up. But before we get there, just want to say thanks for all the loyal listeners out there who month after month... Uh, download these podcasts. We so appreciate you and your feedback, and we're grateful that we get to do this and uh, hopefully help you in your faith journey and your church multiplication journey. We're so privileged to have Travis Blackmore join us on the Multiply Network podcast. He is the executive director of Lion Hearts, uh, which we're going to talk about in this podcast. Just to give you a quick outlook, they distributed last year $2.3 million worth of food into the Kingston, Ontario, greater area. And he's also thinking about and planning for planting a church in Ottawa. And we talk about launching the church this September, but without a building, a digital church plant launch. Man, we got so much good stuff in this interview, and it's coming up right now. Well, Travis, welcome to the Multiply Network podcast. Hey, Paul. Thanks so much for having me, man. It's awesome to be here. Well, it's so great uh, getting to know you over the last few months and love your heart and passion. And I don't know, it's just I I can't help but cheer for you. And I think people, once they hear your story and once they hear uh, some of the dreams in your heart and what you're doing, I think. I think you're just going to get a lot of fans out of this podcast. So, so grateful that you came on the podcast today. Oh, man, it's awesome to get to share the story of what God's been doing and excited to see where it goes. You know, I'm on, I'm along for the ride just, just like anybody else. Yeah, love it. Love it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your background, and, and what God's done in your life and brought you uh, to the point you're at, and then we'll talk a little bit about the ministries you're involved in. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I grew up on the East Coast in St. John, New Brunswick, to all my East Coasters out there. I graduated from St. John High School. Uh, My dad was a pastor my whole life. Um, We started in St. John and uh, moved around like like any other pastor's kid. You know, I've spent a lot of time in some different cities. Um, Landed in Kingston, Ontario. But, you know, growing up as a pastor's kid, really resonated with the drummer on Sundays, you know, I would watch this guy at the front and my dad was kind of a country, uh, rock, rocky pastor. So it was totally cool for drums back in the day. And I remember sitting in the pew and thinking, if that guy gets to make all that noise, I want to do that. No one tells him to be quiet, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but that started really a dream in, in my little heart at the time and and uh i began to walk the path of trying to become a drummer i took lessons through high school played in all kinds of musicals um been in all kinds of bands and uh, little did i know that my father placing me out oh, this is a great story so i'm four years old and my dad used to bring me to the church uh probably to get me out of my mom's hair and he would always put me on the drums i couldn't reach the pedals he would put me on the drums and he'd play like Petra or Striper or yeah, something over the sound on. system. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and I would try, he would hold my hands and try to make me do the drums and I would do my best to kind of mimic what I was hearing. And, but here I was, you know, turning uh, 19 or 20 
and I my career took off. I managed to land a gig as a hired gun uh, drumming for Christian bands touring. I did that for about six years wow. uh, all over the world. Just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I that's what I grew up loving. I grew up loving music and wanting to travel and play like these guys with big touring lights and stages and video screens and all that stuff. And uh, never did I think that I, I would actually succeed in that. And, and it happened. You know, God, God is good. He hears you when you're little. You yeah. know, he sees your dreams and you're and uh, you stay, stay faithful to it. And and there it goes. You know, it can happen. Yeah. But you're not doing that anymore. So that you came off the road and uh, where did God lead you next? For sure. So, you know, coming off the road and being on the road for those six years, those are, they, it sounds like it's all glitz and glam, but uh, you know, if you're not keeping up on your spiritual life and things of that nature, I mean, it's easy to slip real fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was kind of where I was at the end of the touring. I was, I was very lukewarm. I wasn't keeping up with my spiritual life whatsoever. In fact, when I came off the road, uh, I was probably at some of the darkest points in my life. And a close friend of mine said to me, he said, man, why don't we do a small group at your house? And you know, people do that now, but at the time when I came off the road in the state of mind I was in, I looked at him and like he had two heads. Yeah. I'm like, that is the last thing I want to do. You know, I'd been to Bible school for a couple of years, tried to put together a band there, uh, probably with some guys that you know to this day. Yeah. And uh, they were all in Bible school to become pastors and follow this calling to, you know, preach and stuff. Yeah. And here I was just trying to be a rock and roller. Yeah. So I come off the road. I said, yes. I said, you know what, Jeremy, let's, uh, let's do that small group. Um, if, if for anything else, but to, to keep my wife from being upset at me, you know, like maybe coming back toward churchy things would sort of help the family life. Right. And, uh, we started this small group and we were reading these books by a guy named Francis Chan. Mm. And, uh, and we started with the first book. I mean, this, these things were crazy to me. Uh, so foreign at the time, you know, read a book. It's got a workbook and a DVD. I was I was looking at him like, are we getting credits at the end of this thing? Or what's, yeah. what's the deal here? And uh, we did a racing hell, which started to sort of turn some things inside me and made me real remember some things as a child. And then uh, we went into crazy love. And that book really talks about being lukewarm and what that means in great detail. And I remember being in the third or fourth chapter of that book and just getting down on my knees in the middle of my living room and just surrendering my life wow. to Christ. To wow. Really, when I look back over my life, that was the moment of surrender. Yeah. And um, everything changed after that. Yeah. And so you, I'll, I'll just keep adding to the story because you're right. Everything <laughs> did change for you at that point. You started, yeah. you started uh, a, a ministry, but it wasn't like, you know, it kind of evolved. It started with one thing and went to another. Why don't you quickly tell us that story? Because I want the I want our listeners to hear what you're actually doing today, and what's what you want to do tomorrow. Yeah, uh, but but yeah. but why don't you just walk us through that timeline on, on where you got to uh, Lionhearts? For sure. Well, you know that the the verses in Matthew 25 where he talks about what you did for the least of these. Um, 
when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was in prison, did you visit me? Like all of these things were really in that book, Crazy Love. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like there was this incredible calling to help the least of these. And I couldn't help but think, how do I do that? My skill is sort of in the drumming music production world. Do I just go downtown and volunteer at a soup kitchen or something? How does, what should I do? And I remember chasing after and pursuing God with my prayers in specifically for this. Yeah. And I remember praying some, what I realize are dangerous prayers now, you know, God, wherever you want to take me, I'll go. Those are dangerous because you could be on for one wild ride if you really mean it, you know? And uh, there was a group of us and we had this opportunity with Costco, Kingston. They, we, we knew through a mutual friend that they would discard a tremendous amount of produce for various reasons, not necessarily because it's bad, uh, but sometimes things get damaged in transport. And even if the boxes are damaged uh, or whatever, they can't actually go on to the, or the uh, grocery store floor because right. of the way they look or, or whatever. So they would be throwing these away. So we went in for a meeting with them and they said, you know, listen, we'd be willing to try this with you. Um, but here's the catch. You need to be here seven days a week at 730 in the morning. Whatever gets put on the dock, you have to take. It doesn't matter what it is. You have to take it out of here. You can't sort here. Go somewhere, sort it. Right. Whatever you do with the produce that's that's edible, then you can pass that out to agencies or whatever you might want to do with it to yeah. the to the poor or whatever. So we showed up on day one, all amped up, thinking that, oh man, look at the tremendous opportunity. God opened this door. It's just fantastic. And the door goes up. And there's 800 pounds of strawberries on the dock. <laughs> like, whoa, 800 pounds of strawberries. And still my, my, my right-hand man, the operations manager for what became Lionhearts is still here to this day. He was with me that day. And uh, I must've had a look on my face cause he turned and looked at me and he went smile. And I kind of just snapped out of whatever I was thinking and smiled and sort of, started helping put them in the back of his little truck, right? And take it back to our church because we didn't have a facility. And we sit there looking at each other. What are we going to do with 800 pounds of strawberries? <laughs> and well, you know what? We pulled out the phone book and we started to go through and look up all the different places that offer food to the poor or have food programs or whatever. Yeah. And we started calling them one at a time. Listen, we have some strawberries, fresh strawberries. Would you like some? And the resounding answer was yes, to the point where they would say, we'll take all you got. Yeah. And I remember going, oh, I, I, I've got about 800 pounds. And I said, you know, the little Costco containers, I've got about 800 pounds of that. And she says, well, we'll take like 10. Yeah. And I said, no problem. We'll bring them down to you. I hung up the phone, looked at Sean, and what do we do now? We've got 790 pounds. <laughs> you know, it <laughs> just started going like this all day long until we were passing them out. Um, and we knew we had to go back the next day. Right. That started basically what Lion Hearts is. And the first and foremost is it's a food, a mass food rescue distribution network. Yeah. We have uh, tons, hundreds of thousands of pounds of food donated to it every year. We turn around, divide that up, and we support 30 different agencies every wow. week 
wow. with a portion of food. And here we are five years later. And last year we did $2.3 million worth of food wow. back into the greater Kingston area. Did, did you ever in your wildest imagination think that you would be leading an organization that raises <laughs> operational money, but then also uh, gets you know $2.3 million worth of food? Not, not a chance. If you told me that, you know, 10 years ago in the middle of, you know, traveling in a tour bus or whatever. Yeah. You know what? You're not going to be doing this every night. You're going to go over here and you're going to feed the poor. I'd have been like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> but you know, God gets a hold of your life sometimes and you really surrender. It's amazing what he can move you and have you do for his plan for you instead of maybe your plan for yourself. Right. Yeah. I've had it explained to me like, you know, you sign the contract, but it's a blank page. And sure. that's what surrender's like. You just sign the bottom, say, God, I'm in, but I don't know what I'm in for. And he begins yeah. to he begins to fill it in after. And you're like, oh, that's a much better story than I would have written. I'm so glad you're the author and perfecter of my faith, right? Absolutely. I love it. So why is taking care of the poor so important to you? Well, you know, that book really flipped my life upside down. Gosh, I think I've been through that book now four or five times leading other small groups through it. And, uh, you know, I looked up to this guy growing up and I know my father did. I'm sure a lot of the influence on my life has been my dad. Uh, probably a lot, yeah. a lot more than I originally thought. Yeah. But uh, he used to look up to another uh, famous preacher named uh, David Wilkerson in New York City. Uh, I don't know if you remember, you know, crossing the switchblade and run, yep. baby, run, and some of the cats around that. But uh, this one quote from David Wilkerson really stood with me through through years and years of what we're doing now. And uh, he was at one of these big preacher conferences or whatever, and there was a group of young guys around him, and they were all sort of chirping at him, Dave, what's how, how, did, how did you become so successful in one of the biggest cities in the world uh and you have a church right in Times square arguably some of the most high stakes real estate in the world how did you do it and they were waiting for some sort of big philosophical answer or whatever and he turned around and he said if you want to know the secret to what we've done and what i've lived by my whole entire life was find the poor love the poor feed the poor be with the poor and everything else will take care of itself. Wow. Now I may have botched that and maybe not <laughs> got every detail of that, but that was the gist of what he was getting at. Find the poor, stay with the poor, love the poor yeah. and the rest God will take care of. And uh, I, I can tell you the guy, the guy hit a grand slam with that yeah. to me. And I've seen it play out over the last five years. Boy, it just, just, it sure sounds like the Bible to me. Like it's just throughout the scriptures, how many times, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, the Bible talks about taking care of the poor. And, but I think you're right. I think it comes out of a place of surrender because uh, taking care of the poor is not easy. It's not the most thankful job in the whole world. Uh, you know, you could be doing everything you can and still not good enough and still not. Uh, dealing with mental illness and all different types of things. Why don't you quickly tell us just while we're on the line hearts, uh, 
topic because we're going to switch to something else here in a second. But uh, you're responding to the COVID nineteen crisis, and we chatted uh, on offline previously that you guys are are working hard at at uh, uh, not only being in Kingston, but you're now in Ottawa. And uh, during the COVID nineteen crisis, how what are you guys doing to help? Uh, you know, help meet the needs of the poor in this season. Right. Well, um, our unique position as a sort of charity food distributor, if you will, gave us a unique view of across the city of many of the different agencies that feed people day in, day out, week in, week out. And when COVID-19 broke out, it forced some of the smaller agencies in the city to either reduce what they were doing if not entirely closed for this particular season, maybe, I mean, there's many, many reasons, but uh, sometimes their volunteer base is a vulnerable age. There's, there's a plethora of ideas. Plethora is a fun word to get to say, but, um, and anyway, we're sitting here looking across the city and we approached our partners because we noticed there wasn't a charity food program operating during the dinner hour. There were lots of lunch programs, various lunch programs across the city, but nothing in the dinner hour. We had been piloting at this to-go meals program, which which we'd been doing for about six months. And we brought that to the city and public health and reviewed it with a few partner agencies. And they said, you know, that would really help in what's happening right now. Right. We launched a to-go meals program, started with one location. There's now four. Wow! But uh, with that first location opening on March the 18th, we gave away 37 to-go meal packages. Now, we were committed to being there every night, seven nights a week. And within two weeks, we saw that number of 37 in the first night rise to over 250 meals to go every night. Now, that's within two weeks of March 18th. Here we are in May. Yeah. We have four locations in the greater Kingston area, including Napanee. We're doing over 700 meals every night. Wow. We have six full-time chefs volunteering their time to cook these meals. And uh, just over the Mother's Day weekend, we we just breezed over top of the 20,000 meals have gone out since March 18th. Incredible. Wow. And that's cool, man. Like you just it'd be so easy just to stay in your lane, just go, Hey, we're just food distributors. We don't do the work, you know, we're, you know, just be like, Hey, aren't we doing enough? And it's like, no, there's a need. There's a gap. Love your heart, love your team's heart. And, uh, love those, those sous chefs that are, that are volunteering their time. And it's just, what a, what a great story. Uh, many of them wouldn't have faith, right? Like they wouldn't have a faith background. They're just here to help the poor. Just want to, that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things, right? With Lionhearts, there's, you don't have to believe in God to sort of realize people need a hand up or people need food or dignity or whatever. So right. when people come in to volunteer, when people come in to volunteer for Lionhearts, it could be from many, many different walks of life. We have no idea. We just know we all have one common thing. Yeah, that drives us on our side to say that, hey, my reason might be because God, their reason might be because this, uh, I don't know, fill in the blank. But with uh, the majority of of what we do, 
we find it such a great way to share our life or our story or whatever, working side by side with others that may not see it exactly the same as us. Right. And doors just, just fly open. That's and incredible. I mean, I know we're going to switch lanes and go into some other stuff here, but you know, maybe on a future podcast, we could talk about some of the other Lionheart's categories, like our uh, Fast 101 program, which is Fighting Against Sex Trafficking 101. We have right. a whole pillar designed for that. We also have a, a live music cafe that operates on Saturday nights, both in Kingston and in Ottawa, which you know, brings in country and classic rock artists. And we bring people in off the street and just love them with coffee and stuff yeah. and try to give them something to encourage them at the end of their week. We could maybe, maybe talk about some of that stuff on a different podcast, but it's a lot to get into in one spot, right? <laughs> well, there's so much stuff we could talk about. And, you know, I think there'll be people out there maybe leading in church world that might be interested in partnering with you guys. And we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to get you guys connected because, this is an excellent, uh, an excellent ministry that's just is doing some incredible things. Want to honor you, Travis, and you know, and your wife and your family who sacrifice a lot to make this happen. But if you weren't busy enough, <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't busy enough doing that and being, you know, raising money during COVID and it, you know, all these different things, you, the Lord's put a dream in your heart. And why don't you tell us what that looks like as it relates to church multiplication? Yeah, for sure. Um, I always told I always told my dad I wasn't interested in being a pastor, and he said that's good. He said never go into this unless you feel called, because he said, uh, "Boy, if I if I didn't feel as as strong a calling, I wouldn't be here." And I right. mean, I, you know, right? You see what different pastors go through and that kind of stuff, and it is it can be one one heck of a roller coaster ride right yeah and um anyway when when things were flipping around in my life we we began an outreach at a uh, local nightclub here in Kingston and we would we would do uh worship uh, at a you know what i would consider a professional level from what i've been used to touring with bigger lights and sound which yeah it's uh, kind of common now in a lot of churches, but back then it wasn't as common for a church to have multiple moving lights and all the lights were off and you had big production and screens and all that sort of stuff, you know. And um, what was different from for us is we did it at a nightclub, which was in the heart of downtown, sort of right in the middle of where there's a lot of um, interesting aspects that happen on the street. That's a nice and way to we say would, it. <laughs> that's a political. Nice, yeah, I know. It's a nice way to say it. There's a lot of interesting aspects of culture <laughs> that are expressed in this particular uh part of the city. So, anyways, I like yeah. I think we all know what we we I think we all know what you mean. So we'll just yeah. keep moving on. After this, I'm gonna go into politics and run for office. You should I'm kidding. Oh, yeah, you no. should. <laughs> Maybe God will lead you there. Anyways, keep going. I got a face for radio. So <laughs> Um, we began this partnered with this nightclub and, uh, we would bring folks in off the street. We would give them coats. We'd give them something to eat, you know, and we also used it as sort of a, a regeneration, uh, rejuvenation station. I don't know. Recharging station. Yeah. Let's try for that. people's faith. Yeah. You know, because a lot of churches, um, let's be honest, even though there are some churches that are sort of turning the page, if you will, and there's more lighting and more production. Uh, there's 
still a vast, vast majority of churches that don't have that and can't enter into that lane for a lot of, a lot of different reasons. Um, and that really sparked something within me. Now, later on in time, that, that idea eventually morphed into what became Lionhearts and we, we stopped meeting at the nightclub. The food program took over, the human trafficking program came in, the, the embassy cafe came in where it was really meeting the needs of the street people in a different way. And uh, we began to run more in that direction. Now enter a phone call from a pastor, mutual pastor friend of ours, Jeff Hillier, uh, called me in the middle of the day one day, I'll never forget it. And he said, Trav, whatever happened to that nightclub thing you were doing in Kingston? And, uh, you know, I just sort of explained in the ins and outs of all of that and how it sort of morphed and changed over time. And, and he said, well, listen, what would you think about coming to Ottawa and partnering with Community Pentecostal and launching a church that looked like that? with similar ideas and similar goals and maybe aim it at university students, young professionals, that kind of thing. What would you think about that? And I said, wow. Um, was interesting at the timing of his phone call because Lionhearts had just begun moving into Ottawa with some of our food partners. So, I mean, it was almost like God dropping little signs along the way to say that, you know, maybe this is a direction I'd like for you to go. And I obviously responded that I needed to pray and talk to my family, talk to my board, talk to those things uh, and, and seek that out. But, you know, ultimately, um, we felt the call, mm -hmm. as my dad put it one time, to look at going into that. And we picked up our family, we moved to Ottawa, and... Uh, and began running down this lane of church planting, satellite planting. I mean, what do you want to call it? There's a bunch of different names for it, but essentially it's, you know, multiplying a church going yeah. in and yeah, let's, let's take a kick at the can. Right. Yeah. And uh, see if we can change some lives of some young people, university students and young professionals, make it geared toward that particular age group. Yep. And, uh, that's what brings me to Ottawa and I'm sort of here running that lane right now. So, yeah. And just, just at the early stages, well, not early, cause you guys have been, um, been thinking about this for some time um, now, but COVID-19 is hit and uh, you know, that puts that, that launch date this September, like you were thinking actually last September, uh, but for whatever reason, didn't, you know, just wasn't going to work out timing wise. Here we are looking at this September as a launch date. You're pulling the team together. You're raising money for it. You're you know putting lots of effort into this new church plant called Oxygen Church. But uh, you might not be meeting in person. So what are you thinking? Is are you still thinking of launching? Um, why you know you and I've talked about it, but what what are, what are you thinking these days? Um. It's kind of one of those things where, I, I don't know, some people will resonate with this, but anytime it's come up over my life where someone said, oh, you can't do that, or that's going to be really difficult, or I don't, I don't think you'll be very successful, that has kind of almost been fuel on my fire, you yeah. know? Oh, here's this little kid from New Brunswick who always dreamed of playing the drums. Oh, no one ever makes it from, you know, back in the country in Atlantic Canada, you could never be a touring drummer. And I was like, well, watch this. And 
you know, it, it sort of happened, yeah. <laughs> you know, through much perseverance and opening doors and lots of prayers and whatever. Yeah. Same with the food thing. It's like, oh, you guys could never handle, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of food. Uh, and we're just kind of like, we'll we learn, we'll grow, yeah. we'll adapt. Yeah, we don't right? know that yet. We've never done it. <laughs> right. And yeah. I'm going to run at it and uh, watch me, you know. So with the church thing, I mean, gosh, we seem to have things lined up. We had a fantastic venue right in the drop zone of the city of Ottawa that we wanted to meet in. Yeah, uh, We had our launch team, our launch crew had been raising money, getting production ready, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And then COVID hits, right? Yeah. And sort of hits a pause on, could seemingly hit a pause on anything. Or everything. And on everything. Yeah. And, you know, not wanting to stall in any way. I, I'm always kind of trying to talk to God and say, you know, what is this? Yeah. What does this mean? What are I'm sure in, in all of this, he's all trying to show us different things in our lives. Yep. The plan he has for you. He's got that 30,000 foot view of stuff, you know, stuff that, yep. that he sees we can't see. And I'm trying to roll and adapt and listen to what he's thinking. Yeah. And um, I just brought it to the team and I said, you know, when this all comes back around, will the school even be prepared to rent? Will they have a policy in place? Yeah. What if they don't? Right. What can we do? Uh, how can we pray into maybe something we weren't expecting? And the idea of launching virtually came up. And yeah. what kind of mountain is that to climb? You know, no, no uh, congregation base. <laughs> we got a internet connection. Yeah. We've got some ideas and some great examples of online churches. I mean, there's no shortage of those. Yep. And I think the church has kind of shown that no matter if you're in China, they're going to meet in people's basements and it's going to flourish and it's going to fly. Yep. Right. Yeah. They're not on the internet. They're not able to meet in, in person, in, in a church, in public. Yep. There's lots of stories of that. Of course. And here we are in America thinking, oh man, maybe this will stall. And, um, so it's just putting forth the idea of a virtual launch and going, could we make that happen? What does it look like? Is it unique to Ottawa? I'm sure somebody out there has launched virtually before. Yeah. What can we learn? And how, maybe we could do that. Yeah. And so to, that's what we're running at. <laughs> and, and to be clear, this isn't a soft launch. Like you're not, no, no this is like the, the launch of the church. And you know, a launch in, as you, as you and I've chatted and, are aware of other great models of church out there, but the launch big model gets self-sustaining pretty quick and you need, you know, three, 400 people on your first week or whatever. It's geared yeah. for suburban high density cities. And, yeah. uh, you know, and you just kind of grip it and rip it and, and high production, all that. And that's what you're going for. But now it's like, what happens if we like, what happens if we're not meeting in there till next September, like not, like 2021, there's no outside rentals till 2021, September. I like this idea. We're going to be watching closely what you're doing and uh, <laughs> journeying with you. But uh, what excites you about this? This idea of this, you know, I feel like this is a, you know, build the airplane in the air type of thing. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're in the, we're on the runway. We're about to take it off, but there's still stuff that we need to be building in the air. Like, what are you excited about with this particular 
digital launch or virtual launch? I mean, it's, I think it, it's the challenge, you know, there's a challenge, but there ultimately there's the call to try to, to reach people, right. Mm-hmm. And let people know that there's a God that loves them and cares for them. Yeah. And there's that personal touch, which you can still have regardless of if you're in the same room with someone or having a, a zoom meeting or a phone call or whatever, you know, to be in the same room, there's a certain thing that happens there. Absolutely. And I don't think there'll be any sort of substitution yeah. quite to that extent, right? There's something about being in the same room with 600 people, yeah. all lifting their voices in their hands, yeah. all in the same room. There's something, I, agree. I mean, we know what that is, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not like the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. If there isn't a bunch of us online singing, he still is glorified. He's still magnified. So uh, if we can accomplish something different for a mm-hmm. different age, such as this yep. this age where every church is now trying to figure out how to stream, right, right, or make sure their cameras are level, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, make sure to hit the record button, yeah, you know, <laughs> don't put on a face filter, you know, right. record a whole yeah. message with a face filter, yeah, 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 I got it, yeah. yeah. Don't put the kiss mask on when you go to preach on the filter, right? <laughs> that could be bad. Yeah, it's not not appropriate. So, right. Yeah, but there's but you're right. We're, everybody's experimenting with online, but but what happens? I think you make a good point. What happens if this experiment turns into a big part of our future? Like, what happens if this is the new normal? And online, and we can't meet in groups for a significant amount of time, large groups. And I agree. I that's the one thing I miss, and I think it's the same thing that everyone misses. I I'm hearing stories of churches saying, "When we get back together, there'll be no messages. It's just going to be an hour and fifteen minutes of worship." You know, it's just there's just something about getting together and uh, in big groups like that. Um, I'm I'm fascinated by how this is all going to roll out. I'm grateful to be on the journey with you, Travis, because I think this is going to be this is going to be really interesting. And so we'll be watching closely. I want to now I want to bridge the two. How do sure. you how do you see Lionhearts and Oxygen or O Church connecting or working together? Yeah. I I mean with Lionhearts right now, uh it's a charity. It's a full out charity, registered Canadian charity, helping to feed the poor, uh, helping to rescue people from sex trafficking, helping to bring people in off the street and give them some dignity back and friendship through a cafe, et cetera, et cetera. Now we have a ton of churches that in the area that we partner with and they'll send volunteer crews or or um, get them into our rotation of volunteers. Yeah. So that to me is is a big success story of what of on the Lionheart's part. I mean, we have Anglicans working beside Catholics, working beside Baptists, working beside crazy Pentecostals, right? And <laughs> Atheists, anything agnostics, and atheists, everybody's there. And literally everybody in between. Yeah. And so my favorite thing about Lionhearts in the fact that I guess I'm opening a church is the fact that I can, I guess, lead by example to say, hey, listen, 
I know it's not easy to want to go. It sounds like a great thing. Sounds like everybody would be on board to go and help the poor. But let's face it, a lot of people don't either because they either there's something uncomfortable about uh, mental illness or seeing it in person. I'm not sure if this guy's tweaking out because he's on a um, meth trip or because he's just schizophrenic and he hasn't had his medication today. Right. You know, I don't know. There's a million, but it's not comfortable it, for regular. Folks. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And uh, I remember going through that book on crazy love. And I remember thinking when I stand in front of him one day is my excuse for not going to help the poor. Like I could just throw money at it. Sure. And that's needed. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, It's needed. Yeah. But for me personally to stand in front of the Lord and go, Hey, I didn't go to them because I wasn't comfortable. Right. And the look in his eyes. Yeah. When, you know, it, <laughs> I hear the words come out of my mouth saying that and then watching him walk to the hill. Whipped and beaten and broken. And I wasn't comfortable to drive a few kilometers in my car, knock on the door of the soup kitchen and say, hey, can I can I help? Yeah. That wasn't comfortable. That's going to be, and I couldn't live with myself. So to see it come to a point where I guess I get to sort of set the example and tell people, listen, lock arms with me. It's not going to be comfortable, but we'll go through it together. And I actually think that's more what discipleship is. Rather than telling them to go, you actually take them with you. I think that that needs to be more the model of discipleship. It's what Jesus did. I mean, he would teach. Uh, to thousands, but there were only a few that were called his disciples. Yeah. And those were the ones that traveled with him or followed him around, was with him, you know, for weeks, maybe months on end, just traveling around. I think, I think Travis, and I've said this to you before, that's going to be the unique part of this story, is sometimes we start a church hoping to help the poor, and you're doing it backwards. <laughs> you're actually like helping the poor, and now you want to start a church. Because I think I think I think that's a great. Um, both can be effective, but I think having the DNA to take care of the poor already there, to me, seems like a natural connect. Yeah, I um, I I agree. It just seems so natural to just want to. At this point, it didn't in the beginning. Yeah, it didn't feel comfortable to go there, but I knew I had to get over my own self-worry or or uncomfortableness and go you know what right i can't i can't i can't stay there i have to go yeah so and then we found other people that felt the exact same way they're like ah i want to help the poor so much i go on a missions trip and that's cool it's great for that one week and i don't do anything else for years yeah and you're like well there's a mission field right in your city yeah every day seven days a week yeah. And there's people that we hear the stories every week where they come to the embassy because we're the only people that call them by their first name. Out of the whole week, this little coffee shop yeah. is the only place they get to hear their first name called. And I tell our crew all the time, I'm like, that's not you calling their name. Yeah. That's him. Yeah. Through you. Because he's working through you. He lives in you and works through you. Yeah. He wants to call them by name. He wants to draw them to himself, you know? Amazing. Travis, this has been this has been inspiring and encouraging for me and just want to thank you and 
But I want to leave you with one last question. What would you say to an entrepreneur out there who's got this crazy, you know, dream? You talked about surrender. That was the first step. Uh, But, you know, they put God's put something in their heart. What would you say to that entrepreneur out there wanting to start something maybe beyond them and they don't have all the answers? What would you say to them? Pray. (laughs) But then... um but then put it to the test, you know, find it in the Bible. And if you got it there, yeah, that's number one. Yeah. And number two, take it to uh, a pastor, uh, a leader of some kind that you respect, that, you know, will give you a balanced view of that. And, and number one, they'll pray with you for, with it, but you know, maybe they'll offer some wisdom and some guidance and walk some of it with you somehow. Yeah but I wouldn't be scared to run at it. You know, sometimes God puts those things in your heart, but you got to put them to the test. Yeah. And, and then just, just go at it. Wisdom is in asking others. Maybe you're not used to it. Maybe that's not what your degree is in. Yeah. But uh, you know, I don't have a degree in charity. You know, I'm a Bible school dropout. (laughs) I love Bible school. I wish I'd have stayed in it, but (laughs) you know, uh, and probably one day I will finish it just to say that, hey, I did it. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and I got that that degree or yep. if I could go further and get a master's or a doctorate. I mean, I would like to have those things for myself now, yeah. not because of maybe where it would get me. It's just a challenge for myself. But yeah, don't be scared if you're an entrepreneur. It can be scary. You will be scared. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit is with you. Yeah consult with with a, a leader there's wisdom in in those people and in their knowledge yeah. and um they've been through more things than yeah. look, always look to surround yourself with people that are better at things than you are yeah <laughs> i heard that somewhere yeah and it's true it's, it's absolutely true and and those are really great thoughts to close this out we'll yeah. uh, we'll catch up with you again once o church launches and Maybe we'll do another interview and you can kind of tell us all the things you're learning from the digital world. Travis, thanks for jumping on today. I really appreciate it. Oh, Paul, thanks, man. It really means the world for me to to be on here with you and praying for you and what you're doing. Thanks for what you're doing for, for our whole crew out here yeah. across the uh, country. You're awesome, man. Thanks. Oh, thanks so much. All right. Have a great day. 